hello hey damn i do the same hello every time so <laughs> now I. i'm self-conscious it's all right okay well i have a question <laughs> yeah all right questions start it out it's about white people <laughs> all right i can give you a half answer yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> Maybe using our, our half-whiteness combined, we can figure out if this is a thing. Yeah, for sure. As you know, we have a house now. It has a mm-hmm. garage. And my husband, who is white, loves hanging out in the garage. Doing what? Do you have stuff in the garage? Yeah, so we just, we redid it. So it's like insulated now. And he got like a little mini AC unit to put in there. Uh-huh. And now all he wants to do, well, we have a pool table in there. So he wants to play pool. But now he's dragging me into it and we're doing puzzles on the pool table and watching movies in the garage. And I'm just like, this is fine. I like puzzles. Yeah. You know, I'm a big fan. I like movies, but I like sitting on a couch inside. <laughs> what do you sit on in the garage? I usually have to drag my swivel chair in there. And after having sat on it all day, it just makes me cranky. Do you have a big TV in there? No, it's really little. Man. <laughs> I, I don't get the appeal. Is there a fridge in there? I don't know. Like No, there's there's nothing. There's bugs in there. <laughs> is it like a window unit AC too? Yeah, it's like a little guy. I don't even think it's a window unit because it doesn't hang out the window. I don't know what it is. Man. Okay, this sounds... I don't know. I don't like... <laughs> our garage doesn't have anything of worth there. It's usually got one or two cars in it and it's like... Mm-hmm. You don't... Uh, you just there's no place to hang out there's no chairs yeah so. yeah <laughs> but i don't know i guess there's a pool table which is cool yeah the pool table's cool i guess i it just confuses me it baffles me <laughs> why i would spend my evenings in a garage instead of like on the couch <laughs> mm, but some people do this i see them if you if we go walking around the neighborhood people will have like their garage open and we'll just be mm, hanging out yeah like they have chairs and stuff and it's just like a a cool place i guess I guess. Like a, a variant of sitting on the porch. Yeah, but we don't have the garage open when we do this because we're trying to keep the AC in. Yeah, that's... That's stupid. I don't know if that's a white person thing, though. I mean, it may be <laughs> just a quirk because that's yeah. strange. I know that his family did that when they had a garage, so... Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, maybe that's just what they do. Oh, <sighs> okay. Okay. Because I, I don't know. We don't do that. Abby's family hasn't okay. done that. Those, so. those are all the white people we know. That's my... My main white people that I interact with. My friend, I don't know. I'd have to ask them, but I haven't ever hung okay. out with them in their garages. <laughs> okay. Listeners, if you think this is a white person thing, let us know. <laughs> <laughs> Could just be Kyle. Okay. You should start a campaign, though. You should start a campaign to improve the amenities in the garage since you're going to be spending time there. And be like, I want a cool couch. I want a big TV. I want, you know, whatever. <laughs> I definitely need a better seating option. <laughs> okay. All right, let's let's get to our main course here. Your main course, listener questions. Manning a menu and it has listener questions on it. Hell yeah. Which one would you like to address first? Yeah, so let's take it from the top with a question about uh, kind of a more recent occurrence. Mm-hmm. Uh, the aftermath of which we're all living through. Uh, the death of Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Okay, yeah, I figured this one might come up is in the news recently ruth bader ginsburg has died as you know there's been an outpouring of grief from democrats and liberal feminists the person says i've read some pretty shocking things about her that she was okay with abortion for eugenics and a racist and basically just a liberal white feminist i don't know why these things are 
pushed under the rug about her in liberal media and circles. Uh, would you consider talking about her since it's so topical right now, perhaps how white feminism is a liberal fallacy? Okay. I liked this question. I'm going to make an on-air confession. I was an RBG stand for a while. I know. That's, we all have our cringe yeah. best. <laughs> I had the enamel pin. I, was, I thought she was cool, okay? <laughs> yeah. And she had a lot of us fooled for a little while. She did. She a did. lot of people who were passing through their liberal phase. <laughs> We've all been there. <laughs> yeah, I thought this question was interesting because, again, yeah, I used to be on that train. And I had already been keeping track of some of her her fuckery. Uh, <laughs> namely, she uh, supported like an oil pipeline going through native lands. Yes. That was real fucking bad. I remember retweeting that and being like, where is your queen now? <laughs> that was bad. Yeah. And she also like insulted Colin Kaepernick, which was not cool. Calling his actions dumb, I think was the quote. Mm-hmm. I think she walked that back. I think she apologized, basi- apologized basically, right? She did, but still like whatever. <laughs> she still said it. Not a good thing to lead with. You shouldn't, you should have known better than to do it in the first place, but you did apologize. Yeah. One thing, I guess the timing of this is, I mean, obviously since she passed away, like a lot of people had responses to it and I don't know, being part of liberal circles, it was a lot of like, we lost a queen today. <laughs> you know, just mm-hmm. a lot of, what's gross about that to me is that like, it's so much appropriating of like black language when it's like, this is a old white Jewish lady. Like <laughs> she's, yeah. she's not black. Okay. Like. It's weird. And all the people who are using those phrases are pretty much white for the most part. So it's uncomfortable. But anyway, I, I saw this great comic about her actually by Sarah the Firth on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And it talked about her complicated legacy. You know, it talked about how she supported police immunity. She supported deportations and basically just said like, yeah, she did a lot of great things. You know, she broke a lot of barriers. She has been a staunch advocate for abortion rights, especially through a lens of like, okay, you know, what is actually accessible to poor people? Like she's yeah. always been pretty good about that. Mm-hmm. But you know, my, my fucking maximum going to tattoo it on people's faces pretty soon. Two things can be true at once. You know, <laughs> you can be good at some things and bad at other things. So what's this complicated legacy then? I mean, um, I don't, I don't know too much about her specifically. <laughs> so I looked up some of the questions that were brought up from, from our listener. Okay. Let's start with that first one. Abortion for eugenics. That's a big jacuzzi moment right there. Yeah. <laughs> so this comes from an interview with uh, our pal Emily Bazelon. Remember? Oh, Baz. Yeah, old Baz. Uh, we right. used to love the Slate Political Gab Fest until we outgrew it. <laughs> our liberal phase. So she's talking about Harris versus McRae. The court upheld the Hyde Amendment, which forbids the use of Medicaid for abortions. And then she says, the quote is, frankly, I had thought at the time Roe was decided there was concern about population growth and particularly growth in populations that we don't want to have too many of. Now, that's not good. (laughs) Not a good thing to say. Yeah. (laughs) So, but from what I understood reading the rest of the interview, it seemed like the timing of that in the 80s overpopulation was like a big fear. It wasn't like. She wasn't saying, like, it's because there's brown people. She was trying to say it was an overpopulation issue in general. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it was not worded well. Like, okay. <laughs> girl should have figured out a way to say that that didn't sound so shitty. Yeah. And it's, I don't know, that sounds like she is um, talking about what 
people were saying. Like people are talking about population growth. They're talking about we don't want too many of this particular group. She's not like she was doing it. Maybe I don't know. I think so. Yeah, I think it was just taken totally out of context. But like, yes, yeah, she still sort of probably worded that better. Yeah, or immediately been like, whoa, hey, you know. She did. She did respond to it later and was like, no, that's not what I meant. <laughs> Judges kind of have a weird, a weird way of communicating too, because they're used to in their job, like talking through and asking weird questions that they don't intend. So they're trying to get it like the legal, you know, mm-hmm. underpinnings of a case. They'll ask questions from strange perspectives and like, so what of this? What of that? And, you know, they, <laughs> they don't believe that. They're just trying to trying to get that across i guess yeah and we talked about this a little bit in i think it was our debate night episode just like why why should the judicial branch exist because (laughs) at the end of the day it's just holding up bullshit laws from like old dead assholes yeah they're kind of bad the supreme court (laughs) so you can dislike her for that reason but in terms of birth control in general she was she was pretty good about it she was always advocating for like access for poor women you know was very much aware of that if you claim that something's accessible, it's often not accessible to poor people, you know, like you, they can't take time off work. They can't travel to, you know, the next state over stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It is. A, and the Hyde amendment, terrible shit, you know, dude. Yeah. Because <laughs> sucks. that's just, I mean, it's, it's making it like there's a fine for, um, you know, abortions basically. Like you have to pay the fee if you can afford it, you can do it. But otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. It's ridiculous. I also found that she argued against North Carolina's forced sterilization program in 1973. It's a pretty low bar. Yeah. But like, obviously she wasn't for eugenics, I guess is what I'm saying. Humans should be opposed to that. (laughs) Yeah. Right. (laughs) The next claim we want to tackle was that she is racist Mm -hmm. or was racist. Uh, So I used uh, the Marshall project for this. They had kind of a list of her stances on various cases. Okay. There was some, some mixed results. Okay. So the first one is Overton versus Bazetta. And it was about visiting restrictions in Michigan prisons, including a potential lifetime ban on visits for prisoners found guilty of substance abuse violations. What? Yeah, not good. Not good. You're just going to torture someone for that? Basically. Like, basically? <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, she upheld this. So yeah, not good. She upheld it? Yeah. She was like, that's fine. Wow, that's that's pretty bad. <laughs> that's very bad. Not good at all. That's like torture. That's, that's like torture. Someone, like you can never right? see your loved ones again because yeah, you did drugs. Insane. Like what the fuck? <laughs> I'm sure Joe Biden would have supported that too. Oh, probably. <laughs> As we mentioned, she's not good on in indigenous issues. Overall, she seems to kind of trivialize their like tribal justice system in favor of the United States system. I think. In general, which the Supreme Court just doesn't have an understanding of those systems. Honestly, I don't either, but it's also not my job to, like, do laws and shit. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. like, they should figure that out. The pretense under which the American government deals with with Native nations Mm -hmm. is as a nation. Exactly. Um, And and saying that, you know, you're sovereign, you decide things for yourselves, and therefore we're not mistreating you by anything we do, you know, related to you because you're your own country. Deal with it, Mm -hmm. you know? The one time that we're supposedly like non-interfering or whatever. <laughs> so what I mean is the Supreme Court should have an understanding of that because that's like the law. Is mm-hmm. that the United States is supposed to be dealing with indigenous nations as nations and let them do their, like you said, their administration of justice and everything. 
not actually just trample over it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And it seems like she wasn't great about that. She did find some federal sentencing guidelines unconstitutional, but they're still used as guidelines. They're not like official, I guess, but people still use them. (laughs) Sounds like. Okay, we won't use that anymore. I'll just happen to agree with all of them. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, over a million people have been sentenced under those guidelines since 2005. So not great. They're like too strict, basically. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay, this one's not as bad. <laughs> uh, Coker versus Georgia. It was a case of like death penalty regarding rape. And she's quoted as saying, the death penalty for rape is an outgrowth of both male patriarchal views of women no longer seriously maintained by society and gross racial injustice created in part out of that patriarchal foundation. So like, yeah, that one's right. Yeah. Good job. That's, that's a correct analysis, yeah. <laughs> and to me, this gets to the crux of the listener's question about white feminism being a liberal fallacy. Definitely can be. Definitely can pit women against particularly black men. So mm-hmm. yeah, watch out for that. Overall, I found her record pretty mixed. She did some good shit for sure for birth control. She did some good shit. And that last one, good job. But like, to me, that's a pretty low bar. (laughs) So yeah. (laughs) One thing that I found during this research that I thought was really interesting. So in the case of Utah versus Strife, it was a fourth amendment case. And it was about like, there was a drug bust and like the sheriff like did some extra investigating while he was there and stuff like that, (laughs) (laughs) you know? So the question was, should evidence seized during an arrest on an outstanding warrant be suppressed because the warrant was discovered during an investigatory stop later found to be unlawful. Okay. So the way this shook out was Sotomayor wrote the dissent and there was a section that the media is called the black lives matter manifesto. And basically she just like called the fucking justice system out as being like systematically racist and, she cited like Ta-Nehisi Coates in it. She just really went to town on it. It was just like, this is a racist system. It's completely failing black Americans. Like just said some cool shit basically. And RBG did not sign that part of the dissent. Really? Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So not great. But what I thought was interesting about that is like, here you have like the first Latina on the court fucking Mm -hmm. saying like, hey, our system is racist and bad. I don't see anyone calling her queen and, you know, saying she's a hero. So. Oh, no. Yeah. People are. I mean. I'm sure she's not perfect either, but still, I'm just, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, that's, that's a fair point. None of, you know, yes, RBG is a white liberal feminist. We haven't had anyone to the left of just liberal reformer uh, as far as a Supreme Court justice goes. I don't think we ever will. It's not an institution where you would appoint someone who's got any sort of radical politics. Yeah, yeah. But still, I just find it interesting that that's who everyone seized upon as their hero. I don't know. I don't know why people do that. (laughs) She's progressive, you know? Yeah. Somewhat. But like you said, mixed track record, like we've seen here. But, you know, like when we're talking about the positions that we've you know either she's been accused of with the abortion eugenics thing which we said wasn't true really or kind of decisions that involved racism and stuff with kind of that mixed record there we have had plenty of supreme court justices in our history that have 
actually been <laughs> actually been for those things like eugenics even like yeah yeah we've had supreme court justices that have been like yeah eugenics is like that's fine obviously we've had plenty that have been openly racist of course yeah because the supreme court's been around for so long but still yeah i think it's as leftists we really shouldn't admire or hold up as any of our tribunes any of the supreme court justices <laughs> like it's just not an institution we should be backing yeah i think what's frustrating to me is this the valorization you know even around birth control saying like oh yeah she's like protecting us from it being revoked and it's like thanks like thanks for the rights i guess like <laughs> i just <laughs> it's crumbs you know it's just like cool like yeah obviously that should be a thing like i shouldn't have to like fucking worship you for doing that it goes with a lot of things in our political system. You know, thank you for unemployment relief. I should just actually be able to exist as a person without, you know, someone deigning to give me some scraps to survive. Yeah, yeah. Awesome question there. Yeah, thank you for that question. Okay, our next question is from Kayla, a loyal listener. We love Kayla around here. Yeah, shout out. Yes. All right, so Kayla says, I had a response to Bob's collaborative comment. This is in regards to our friend Bob the Capitalist who wrote in for another listener Q&A. Mm-hmm. He was talking about how capitalism can be collaborative, basically. Yeah. So first she recommends a song called 16 Tons by Merle Travis. And there's a lot of covers, including Johnny Cash. I know you're a Johnny Cash fan. Yeah. Did you listen to the song? I did. I had heard this song before, both the Merle Travis version and I don't remember all the covers, but I have heard the Johnny Cash version as well. It's a great song. It's got It's kind of from the point of view of someone you know working in the coal mines it comes from a real place of authenticity. Merle Travis, the writer of the song, his father was a coal miner. Uh, and purportedly, like the main, the main line from this, 16 tons and what do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt. Oof. Is uh, from a letter that his brother wrote to him. Their father apparently had had this refrain saying, you know, I can't afford to die. I owe my, owe my soul to the company store. Oof. Kayla mentions in the, in the question there, talking about script. Yeah. Scrip is like fake money. Yeah, it's like Monopoly <laughs> money. If you had money that was only good at Walmart because you worked at Walmart. Yeah, they, it's a gift card. Yeah, and if, if they paid you in gift cards for the company. Oh, my like, God. They used to do this in, my, in coal mining towns, in all sorts of extractive industries and stuff, in where, where you would oftentimes live in company-owned housing and everything Oof. like that that would be run by the company. No, but the song's great. Like, I, I love that line of another day older and deeper in debt because it's like, you, you know, you're, you're working really hard, right? And it seems like in our, in our economy, people who work harder, more physically demanding jobs get paid shittier. Oh, for sure. Your life isn't really necessarily improving. You're not really getting better, getting closer to, you know, living more independently or anything. You're usually just breaking even, hopefully. Yeah, because... <laughs> along with doing a physical job like that obviously takes a toll on you and then you have mm-hmm. medical bills and then you have you might have to cope with like you know weed or something or like you know maybe harder drugs than that obviously mm-hmm. so it becomes this horrible cycle of just you're just struggling yeah and i think that's true for the typical like blue collar physical labor mm-hmm. but it's also with in modern times, it's not intended for that, but in modern times, this could also apply to the student debt crisis. Absolutely. The reason you go to school is to get a good job, and then you're spending the rest of your life paying for that school. <laughs> you're spending all that good job money on school. 
Yeah. What I like about it is with songs like these, and we can do an episode on, we've talked about it before, maybe like a leftist kind of music sort yeah. of thing. But the thing I like about any of those songs is most of the time they're not explicitly, you know, really leftist yeah. or have a political <laughs> bent. Yeah. They're just talking about fucking hard times. Yeah. It's, it's people getting an innate sense that the system isn't right, that, you know, the world isn't the way it should be, that their experience in it isn't the way it should be. It doesn't have a real, you know, class analysis lens. It's not Marxist. It's not doing anything nerdy with it. <laughs> you know, it's just saying shit sucks. Yeah. The boss sucks. I shouldn't have to do this. You know, I'm a human. Yeah. Yeah. But no, on, on the, on the script reference because Kayla mentions that I was reading up on that and you know we said that's kind of when you're paid by your company (laughs) in kind sort of so they pay you like some tokens or so like we said gift cards basically (laughs) to buy stuff through the company you know Um, it's this is used to to rip people off yeah rip their employees off because you're not going to get paid your market value right you're not going to get paid actually as much as you should be it's worth way less than actual money and the companies they'll they'll like run you know a company store where this money is good Mm -hmm. nobody else accepts this money so they have complete control over what how you can spend it right they can jack up the prices because yeah what are you going to do you're not going to go spend that money anywhere else oh my god that sucks you you know super sucks what's funny is that like people are doing this again now (laughs) Like, didn't Facebook do that? Yeah. Facebook tried, uh, is, is, ro- is going to roll out oh its, like, God. Libra system, its own, you know, currency or whatever. They're rumored, you know, that they might offer employees a way to be paid, it's you ridiculous. know, in, in Libra stuff, which would be, yeah. you know, basically script. But now, now this is technically <laughs> illegal. Not that, but, like, okay, company good. script is illegal now. They outlawed it in the Fair Labor Standards Act of 1938. <laughs> but like you said, kind of making a comeback in some ways. Well, I think companies are now smart enough to sell it as a perk. Like they definitely do that mm-hmm. today. Like, oh, you can get stock options and blah, blah, blah. Like you can, you will feed yeah. you, you know, company snacks or whatever for free. And it's like, how yeah. much of that could just be my salary? Like <laughs> how much of your perks are taking money away from me? Uh, a bunch, you know, <laughs> why we have employee-sponsored health insurance. Mm-hmm. That was a that was a perk given to labor unions and stuff when they were negotiating as a way to get around having to pay more money. It's insane. Pension systems the same way. Pensions are now like not a thing, but four hundred one k. You know, <laughs> s- similar idea here is give them this perk that is a later payout thing. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, you don't have to pay it to everybody. That way you don't have to pay them money, which you definitely will have to do. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's just a, just another one of those ways to, to screw people over, yeah. you know? And uh, it's, like we said, with the Facebook example, it's making a comeback. Also with Amazon, they were doing uh, a program. I think, I guess they're still doing this program. I don't really know. It was in some reports that they were offering to in, pay incentive stuff to workers there in the form of swag bucks. Oh, I remember this. Oh, that was nightmarish. Oh. Yeah, they had like a little, you know, a little company store that you could buy stuff in. It's not exactly the same because like, I don't think this was their main pay, you know. Yeah, it was like bonus or whatever. But still, I'd rather just have money. Pay me money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Apologies to the leapers out there. That's 
That's a shitty <laughs> correlation. Yeah, now your Facebook money. Sorry. Yeah. <sighs> Leapers are way cooler than that. They deserve better. <laughs> All right. Next up. So this is another anonymous question about Tiananmen Square. They said that they looked up Tiananmen Square online, and they said that some sources say it, like the massacre was exaggerated or that it didn't happen, or that the students were violent and stringing people up, or that it was started by anti-communist liberal professors. Others say it was a complete massacre and oppression of a peaceful protest by students and professors by the state. And they ask, what is your opinion on it? I have no opinion because I don't know what it is except for that guy in front of the tank. So, Tank guy. Tank man, I think is what he's called officially. All right. <laughs> Tell me a story. Here we go. Let's do the rundown. <laughs> so, our, you know, our listener knows basically what happened, but just to kind of cover the basis for everybody. I don't know. <laughs> so this is the Tiananmen Square. There's obviously a lot of different terminology for it if you're in china your official terminology for it is the june 4th incident and you just shouldn't talk about it much but okay if you're not in china oftentimes the west calls it the tiananmen square massacre uh, or protest or incident there's nuance here so as far as the questions brought up there will be some of it yes some of it maybe it's We'll, we'll try to keep it brief, basically. <laughs> okay. Um, so the protests overall, this is 1989. Okay. June 4th, 1989. And it actually spans a lot longer than that. But it stems from economic reforms that were started in the late 1970s after the okay. death of Mao. Yeah. All right. So Mao dies and there are some economic reforms that happened. The reason those happen is because of something that Mao did called the Cultural Revolution. Yes. I heard of this. It was kind of crazy. <laughs> it was like pretty bad. Okay. It was this super radical like program to try to dr- drastically revolutionize China, but it kind of ends up being a, a purge, a ruthless kind of situation where they're killing a lot of people. Yeah. We talked about this in our, what type of leftist are you on? Didn't we? Cause we talked about Maoism. Yeah. So. When we were talking about Mao. Yeah, yeah. Some of the, some of the shit he did. This was one of it, but one of the things and, and <laughs> the it was good. Thing. <laughs> uh, it made everything crazy. Lots of people died. Oof. And so he dies and the culture revolution, boom, gone. Okay. Because people were kind of like glad. Yeah, that, probably. That's over. <laughs> uh, and soon thereafter, a guy named Deng Xiaoping took over. Okay. Apologies to any listeners familiar with the Chinese language. <laughs> I'm bad at it. So I'm just going to go with the standard Western pronunciations and sorry. Uh, Deng started to liberalize the Chinese economy. Okay. Okay. So he's, he's doing these economic reforms. This means he's decollectivizing agriculture. Mm-hmm. Okay. So like more private ownership. There. Yeah. Uh, more foreign investment oh. and more entrepreneurs. He raises, he lifts price controls, all that sort of thing. Okay. All right. So make the economy more, I guess, open or more. More capitalist. More capitalist. Yeah. <laughs> This does lead to economic growth, which literally anything would have led to economic growth (laughs) if you were ending the cultural revolution because it was crazy. But it also led to more corruption, uh, nepotism, Mm. and the loss of job security because all these state-owned enterprises are now having to cut costs, and so they're cutting jobs. Okay. That's kind of the, the chaos that's happening there with the economic reforms. And those uh, end up splitting uh, the factions in the Chinese Communist Party. You got some people who are like, yeah, let's do some more reforms. We'll get past this. It'll be okay. Mm -hmm. And you got some people who are like, we've done too much already. Let's roll it back. Yeah. Student protests. 
start to happen. Okay. In 1986, they end up stopping the protests. It's not a violent situation. Okay. Um, what were they protesting about? Just like they didn't have jobs and stuff or what? Yeah, the, the economic concerns, basically, okay. and the, the corruption and stuff that was going on. Okay. It wasn't like a broader thing, like, hey, let's change the government. It was just like, let's fix some problems Okay. in 1986. And there was this uh, reformer guy in the party, you know, like in, in the leadership, but he wasn't like in charge, in charge. He mm-hmm. was just there named Hu Yao Bang. Okay. After this student protesting happens, the government's like, that was bad, dude. And you should have done something better about that. You were too soft on them. You got to resign. Oh, they found a scapegoat. Uh huh. Yeah, he was thrown <laughs> under the bus for it. They made him resign, so he lost all his power. And then a couple of years later, he died. Okay. And people were suspicious. Mm. You know, they were like, "Did the government off this dude?" Yeah. He, you know, just to get rid of him. What happened? He had a heart attack, and like officially, it seems like maybe he just had a heart attack. <laughs> There's no evidence one way or the other. Okay. Okay. But he died, and then there were demonstrations. And that's where this whole the, the Tiananmen Square stuff springs out of, is the demonstrations about his death. Because mm. he was a very popular reformer. Like, people thought, this is the guy. He knows how to guide us out of this, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. They were complaining, basically, that he was gone, and they kind of took to the streets. And then it's, the movement started growing from there. Okay. That's in April 1989. Okay. When it starts, there's a lot of demonstrations. Uh, they grow into protests. They have kind of a range of demands anywhere from just the old, like, just fix the economic problems, the corruption, uh, to more political freedoms, okay, where you're starting to kind of question more of the actual the actual system yeah, you know, yeah. and the, the political power. The movement grows throughout April and throughout May, mainly in Beijing and in other parts of the country as well. It's a student-led movement. They grow so strong that eventually when the government tries to impose martial law in late May and send in like tanks and the military and Oof, stuff, okay. the protesters and stuff actually turn them back. They oh my God. go up there. They start trying to like get the troops to join them and <laughs> they, they're not like ready to, the military is not ready to go you mm-hmm. know, yet. So they actually end up retreating because they're like, this is too much. They're not just leaving. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll come back. And they eventually do. The party leadership has a meeting and they're like, we got to do something about this. These students better quit. We've tried to tell them to quit. They won't quit. So let's make them quit. Oof, okay. So they send in the military again, June 3rd. The night of June 3rd carries over into the morning of June 4th and then the aftermath in June 5th. This time they do use force. Okay. Uh, they go in. People aren't doing, you know, people aren't complying. When you're reading these, uh, when you're reading account of events to me it very much reads like what we see in what we saw in the protests uh here yeah. 2020 obviously to a greater scale they actually have like barricades and shit set up mm-hmm. and like fucking tanks and yeah they're sending in tanks and the literal military it gets ugly it gets violent okay the military does kill protesters Ugh. only really like hardline tanky communists will and they, they have a line that's like nobody died in tiananmen square which <gasps> technically true because no one died in the in tiananmen square itself right? okay but around it actual battles with people dying yeah. like all around it so okay it's yeah. a stupid thing that they that they sometimes say but it's technically technically true okay <laughs> all of deaths really happen outside of the square lots of protesters are killed mm-hmm. even with the government's official numbers you've got 300 people Jeez. around 300 or so deaths Jeez. that they'll admit to right 
the listener presented some of the other you know sources saying it's exaggerated it didn't happen covers the Tiananmen Square thing I think yeah the students were violent and stringing people up is true that there were some incidents of that okay the students were not universally peaceful there's different groups kind of all doing this this stuff so you do have in sections of the city people in the protest students and otherwise killing soldiers beating them to death setting their tanks on fire so burning them in their tanks oh my god like I said, stringing up, stringing them up on the bodies of people on, on buses and stuff. Oh, my God. Uh, on okay. On barricades. So while that did happen, the, the death count for the military is relatively low. I mean, yeah, again, they, they had tanks. <laughs> you know, sure. Like, yeah. It's also a, one, a very one-sided thing. Yeah. So that yeah. they managed to do that is, I guess, impressive. <laughs> um, in dark way. Yeah. The overall, like, death tolls and stuff disputed yeah i imagine 100%. like we said the government numbers are around 300 your uh, other estimates go can go astronomically ridiculous but <laughs> they can kind of the high end of respectable maybe estimates it's usually a little bit higher than 300 but it can get into 2000 3000 oh is gosh. kind of the upper cap okay and it's really it's kind of hard to determine even western estimates are anywhere from like lower than what they said to Mm. in the range of what they said, or higher. Okay. Uh, Amnesty International estimates are between several hundred and close to a thousand. Okay. Beijing hospital records after the events reported at least 478 dead and 920 wounded. So just lots of people. I think that it's not really too important to get into. Exactly how many. People People were killed by the government. Yeah, that's fucked up. The Western media did really try to exaggerate this. You have the immortalized image of of Tank Man, right? Tank Man, yeah. And, you know, I guess Tank Man gets crushed, right? That's the, that's Mm. what you're supposed to get. But from that, a line of tanks going after this guy and boom, he, he's a red splat, right? Mm -hmm. That's the implication of the photo. I assumed he didn't, but okay. He didn't. (laughs) Okay, cool. I was right. The tank driver tries to go around him. And so he moves into the tank's path. He continues there and then climbs up onto the turret of the lead <laughs> tank to speak to the soldiers inside. Getting no response, he, he ends up returning to his position in front of the tanks. And then like a, a group of people come up. One of them's on a bicycle, I think. They come up and, and like, get the hell out of here. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> um, wow. But they're like protesters, you know. They're, yeah, yeah. It's not the military. Interesting. So supposedly he lives through the whole thing. You know, they're, they're, while there is violence and everything, the, the main group of student protesters in Tiananmen Square does end up getting beaten uh, mm. by the authorities but they do leave like alive i guess so yeah that's that's a low bar but they that weren't really massacred in the square Ugh. like the communists said no one died there okay <laughs> but um but everywhere else but they, they did. come in there and they beat you know they do try to negotiate at first they say mm-hmm. you know get the hell out basically and some of them do some of them are like, no, we're not going to. And their friends are like trying to get them to leave. They're like, come mm-hmm. on. Hey, they're going to beat us up if we don't, or, you know, we, we got to leave. Yeah. Eventually, you know, the soldiers kind of lose their patience with that and start beating them. And Jeez. they do leave them. They do get them out of there, but yeah. it's violent. Yeah. What is our opinion? I guess overall on this, I think that was bad. I didn't like it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think you gain anything from defending that. Like, no, you should fucking listen to your people instead of, trying to get them to fucking shut up and then beat them up when they don't leave. Like, that's bad. Yeah. From the Chinese perspective, the perspective of the government, uh, they this is happening in 1989. Mm-hmm. When you have a ramped up campaign by the United States to back various 
you know, people, people's revolutions, I guess, against communism worldwide, mm-hmm. Darton to see governments fall, uh, tra- liberalized transition to democracy, I guess, or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. You know, you've got, you know, a wave of strikes in Poland by this point, Hungary seeing things like there's a lot of more pro democracy movements going on. So from the perspective of the Chinese government, they were probably mm. suspicious that this was part of a, a larger plot. It was like CIA backed. Yeah, so not without reason to suspect that the CIA or the State Department were pulling another crazy move. I mean, move. they've done some shit. Yeah. I can't find anything that's like they were pulling a move here. One okay. reason is that they were basically like soft allies with China at the time. Yeah. Like, we weren't really opposed to them. We hated the Soviets worse. Mm-hmm. There's not really a reason to destabilize a government that is sort of on your side and a counterbalance to your main rival. Yeah, exactly. Enemy of my enemy. I don't think they would do that. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. But that probably is weighing on their mind. That said, I don't think that that is an excuse. No, definitely not. (laughs) That seemed really bad. I didn't like it. And yeah, it definitely reminded me of protests in 2020, just fucking throwing people in vans. Like, yeah, we didn't, we're not running people over with tanks, but we're getting pretty We're running them over with SUVs though. Exactly. Yeah. Like it's not good. Yeah. So uh, ultimately our opinion is, we think it sucked. We're not <laughs> yeah. going to cheer that on at all, armed Definitely or not. not. It pro- you know, if the protesters are killing people, I mean, still, you're not going to mow them down with tanks and shit. Exactly. That's the thing. I, that's the thing about, like, people getting so upset about violent protests. It's like, well, why Why do you think they're so fucking pissed, first of all? Are you even listening to them? And secondly, it's like, yeah, the other side has fucking guns and tanks. Like, yes. In <laughs> the think, face of I that, what good. are you going to do? Like, yeah. are you just going to stand there and let them defeat you? Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. Ultimately, shitty. We don't like it. Shitty times. Okay. Well, this is a good segue into our next question. Uh, Let's see. So the next question is from an anonymous listener about China. Mm -hmm. And they ask, what is with the one child policy in China? When did it come about? What was its purpose? And also, was there a lot of female infanticide in the early revolution period? Okay. So this one I researched. Let me tell you about it. The basic overview of it. Basically, mm-hmm. there was a big population growth. There's, like I mentioned in the RBG question, overpopulation was like a real concern. Yeah. With China, they had a big spike in life expectancy and a big drop in infant mortality at the same time. So it was just like, shit, we have too many people. That's good, though, kind of, right? I mean, like, for sure, good. Yeah, <laughs> I still would want those things. <laughs> yeah. So originally, they actually had a two-child policy in the 70s. Okay. The one-child policy was introduced in 1979. You might remember in 2015, they reverted back to the two-child policy. Okay. All right. Yeah. So there were exceptions. If you were in a rural area, you could have more than one, but they were often subject to spacing out your kids, like by like okay. at least three or four years or something like that. Fair enough. <laughs> if both parents were only children, they could have more than one child. Okay. And if the first child was a girl, you could try again. You messed up the first time? Yeah. (laughs) Whoops. (laughs) We had a girl. But uh, there's economic reasons for that, though, right? Like, Yeah. Well, it was mostly sexism. (laughs) But from the perspective... Okay, so sorry. So from the perspective of the family in question... They would be losing out economically. Like it's, they're going to like expend resources to raise a child that's going to go help someone else's family instead of their own. Sort of. So in a sexist 
society that they're in, that's what's going to happen. So it was to me, it read more of as a cultural thing. So it seemed like if yeah, you're right, that they would be seen as part of a different family because they're going to marry mm-hmm. into another family. In fact, that like you would call your grandkid a different name if they were from, you know, if they were a girl and they're marrying into something else, like there were different terms oh, for that okay. even. But in fact, because so many people just had one kid or even just two, girls actually got more opportunity to go to school and to do stuff because it's like, well, this is the only one I have. So like, yeah, I'm, well, they're going to go to school. Yeah. But, you know, it, it wildly varied. There, de- sexism is definitely going to play a big role in this story. Okay. From 1980 to 2014, 324 million Chinese women were fitted with IUDs after their first child. These IUDs were surgically inserted so you could only get them out through another surgery. And obviously that surgery would have to be approved. That's very bad. <laughs> I mean, you have no control over your reproductive yeah. abilities. Okay. Like, that's All not right. good. And then they were sterilized after their second child. And if you refuse these procedures, you could lose employment. Damn. Your children could lose access to education, health services. In the very early times, they would just bust up your house or like steal a pig from you or something. Later, they would fine you and then like basically raise the fine every fucking day. It was bad. It was fucking bad. Wow. Yeah, that's terrible. Uh, So I did some research just online and then I watched a documentary called Mm -hmm. One Child Nation um, by Nanfu Wong. Uh, this was produced by Amazon Studios, so I was sharply looking at it, but it was good okay. for the most part. The main takeaways I got from this was like how they enforced it. You know, they definitely used a lot of propaganda to be like, no, this is what you should do for sure. Like, it's the best. Everything from like operas hosted in these small towns, like, you know, to TV shows, movies, everything would just blatantly be like, the one child policy is great. And, you know, <laughs> it was super on the nose. Okay. So there was that. And then there was the other side of it, which was enforcement. You know, they would literally tie women up and drag them in to get sterilized or to force them to have an abortion. That's awful. It was really fucking bad. Official numbers are disputed, but in the documentary, they interviewed a lot of people. One of them was a midwife and she claimed to have done somewhere between 50,000 and 60,000 sterilizations and abortions. She could do around 20 a day. That's so many. That'd be bleak. Yeah, exactly. And it was what was really interesting about these interviews is this weird sense of like cognitive dissonance in a lot of these people. Some people were like genuinely regretful. Like that midwife, I think she was the one that like now only does fertility treatments. She's like, no, I want to help bring babies now. Okay. Yeah. But a lot of people were like, it's just policy. What are you going to do? Like, it's just orders. I didn't have a choice. Like, And they think it was good. They're like, we had to do it. There's too many people. We had to do it. Okay. So forcing everyone to do this, like dragging them in, surgically Mm -hmm. doing things, tying people, and then all the penalties, all all the enforcement side, the negative side. If you take that out, (laughs) just like, let's not be mean, right? And you just do Mm -hmm. turn around and you pump all that back into propaganda, right? And just do wall to wall propaganda all over the place. I mean. Yeah. Would that be as bad? I don't think so. I mean... It probably wouldn't be as effective. It probably wouldn't be. I mean, th- this seems like it was... Here's the thing that was interesting. So I was reading, some people are disputing their results. Some people, there were reports of like, surrounding countries had similar drops in population, even without these measures. Mm-hmm. 
like uh, I think Thailand was the example they gave. It's like, yeah, it's in the same zone. And like, they also just like had less kids. Like it is kind of a natural thing. Like as you progress past an agricultural state, like you don't need as many kids to work the farm. Like now you can just have a couple. When you increase living standards, it seems like that's kind of what happens. People are not trying, you're not trying to beat infant mortality with exactly. the numbers game. Yeah, yeah. It's not as much of a gamble to have a kid. Your kid's probably going to make it. Yeah. It was an interesting documentary. Some parts of it were really hard to, to sit through, but it was it was really interesting. I mean, as far as female infanticide goes, yeah, that definitely happened. People would leave girls out just in the market. They would just leave a baby girl out there and until either she starved or someone took her to an orphanage. Gender testing was not allowed, like ultrasounds to determine gender, because they knew people would probably try to abort it abortion was allowed like you you could get an abortion so it was like you couldn't prove why they got it though okay so that's why they didn't allow gender testing so like they wanted people i guess they did want people to have still have girls so they could still have girls in their like (laughs) society right well yeah but then i mean the result of this is that people got rid of their girls however they could either by you know abortion or abandonment or you could un- not have your child be registered so they wouldn't get like all the benefits of being a citizen, but that way you could get away with having another kid, but they wouldn't have like healthcare or a social security number or like anything. Yeah. They would just be a hidden person. Basically. Yeah. I don't know. You talk about, you know, still wanting to have girls. There is a huge skewed gender ratio in China right now. And like, it's a problem. Like there's a ton of just like single dudes out there. Like, uh, where are the ladies? You know? Right. Yeah. And there's also a big gap in elder care because, you know, these people don't have enough kids to, like, take care of them in their old age. So that's a big problem. Like, they have an an aging population. Man, yeah. Mm. So you said this didn't really change, like, uh, so are those other countries, like, facing the same? No, they're not facing the same issues of, like, the skewed gender ratio and the, the elder care thing. Because their populations just decline the normal way. And it just declined naturally, yeah. Um, Another result was human trafficking. Uh, What would end up happening is uh, they would find out you had a second kid. The government would come, ask you to pay a fine. And then if you couldn't, they would take the kid and put him in an orphanage. And China started a big adoption program, Mm -hmm. you know, overseas adoption. And that's expensive. And they made a lot of money out of it. And they'd use that money to pay people to find more babies on like the side of the road or whatever and bring them in or to pay these orphanages to keep going. So yeah, um, up to like 140,000 babies were adopted overseas. It also sucked for like the parents adopting these kids because they thought they're like taking them from an orphanage. They were orphans. It's like they fucking weren't. Wow. That's dark. Yeah. It's super fucking dark. Jeez. Okay. That's, that's wild. So I didn't, I guess I, this was like you, this was your research one, and I didn't know that much mm-hmm. about it, so I didn't know. I guess the more gruesome side of the enforcement and everything, and then the negative effects thereafter. Because I, I guess I was sympathetic to the idea mm-hmm. of like, yeah, population growth that seems like a problem. Yeah, maybe we should have fewer people, and if a society determines, you know, that this is something we should do, okay, I mean, you know, do that. But then the measures needed to make it happen. And then the downside of it and, and the the results, the unintended consequences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shitty. Uh, shitty stuff. Yeah. One thing that I kind of had a problem with, I guess, in the documentary, and I think this is just 
because of who they were interviewing, but like, there's a lot of equating abortion with murder and, you know, I don't believe that. So that kind of sucked. But I mean, also these were extreme abortions that one, they're forced. So like, fuck that Two, They're super late. Some of them, some of them weren't, but some of them are like really late abortions. Like we should avoid those. Okay. It, it would just, they would still say like, Oh, like I killed all these kids. And it's like, you killed, you definitely killed some, you know, I don't know. It was, some of that was a little weird. Obviously we did kill plenty of them, but they, they did kill plenty of them by leaving them out. You yes. know, exposure or whatever, abandoning yeah, them. Yeah, sure. for sure. But no, yeah, you're right. Like the actual just normal procedure part of it was not really killing them. But, but I mean, the fact that all of that was forced is also fucking horrifying. That's the problem. That's the, yeah, that's the terrible part. I don't know. It, it is a good question of like, you know, how do you encourage your population to not have so many kids without, you know, resorting to some bad shit? And it reminded me a little bit of like eco-fascists because their end goal is pretty good, but like the way they want to do it is very bad, you know? Yeah. So I've heard this term around and I really haven't investigated it much. What do you know about eco-fascism? To me, at least it seems like it's a lot of putting the blame on individuals. Maybe, maybe I don't know enough about it, but from what I've experienced in that, it seems it's like, Oh, you need to, you know, fucking not eat meat anymore. Like we should just make a law. Like you can't eat meat and just shit like that, you know? And I don't think it goes for corporations hard enough. Mm-hmm. I have a problem with that. I, I think when you talk about overpopulation as a problem, I think people really enjoy pointing to other countries as the source of problem. Like, oh, it's all because of India. It's all because of China. Like, But it's like, if you look at who's actually producing the most like greenhouse gases, it's us, guys. Like, <laughs> It's the United yeah. States. So I don't know. It stinks of racism. It stinks of ignoring the root causes of you know, actual climate change destruction, which is mostly corporations. But yeah, putting the, you know, putting the blame on regular people when, like you said, well, it's the corporations, man. They're the ones fucking it up. Yeah. It's the corporations here, it's the corporations in other countries as well. But like, what can we, what can we control? And I think that's where maybe the fascism part of it comes into play is advocating for a, a fascist type government, mm-hmm. an authoritarian type system that's going to say, this is what we're going to do and they're going to fuck people over. Yeah. I don't know. Like you were saying before, like, yeah, what if it was all, all your apples were put in the propaganda basket? I don't know if it would have worked, but it would have been a better option for fucking sure. (laughs) You know, like, well, yeah, better than what they were doing with all the forced stuff. Yeah. I mean, for me, I would say, you know, if this is a legitimate concern you would have definitely supply more options through culture. Like I, I think, particularly in the Western state. I mean, I guess everywhere too, there's a big pressure to have children. And I honestly think people Mm -hmm. should start out more neutral on that and say, you know, do you actually want that or not? I think part of it is social in that way. Part of it's genetic. Mm -hmm. We do have a biological imperative that's governed us for (laughs) thousands of years. I know, but I don't put a lot of sock in that. Cause I'm just like, you can just not, I mean, I just, I, Anytime someone says, like, I don't know if I want to have a kid, I'm like, all right, tell me, why do you actually want to and why do you not? Because, like, that's a valid thing to wonder. For sure, yeah. I don't want to argue that, like, humanity is subject to its genetic destiny or anything mm-hmm. like that because, like, part of, you know, and that's that's when people get into human, you know, uh, what, human nature. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, well, we're just, you know, we can get past that no matter what our genetic disposition is. Sure. Yeah. We can be rational, we can, but, but I do think that that is an influence 
And it's one of our deeper ones is the drive to reproduce, you know? Yeah, that's true. But I think a lot of it is still cultural though. Like yeah. how many pieces of media are out there where like there's a main character in their like forties and they don't have kids and it's fine. It's not a plot point. It's not a big deal. Or if it is a plot point, it's handled like nicely and respectfully, you know, like I don't, yeah. I feel like we're not given a lot of options for, for those kinds of stories. Yeah, that's well, yeah, that's true. And also just the pressures of like, well, do my parents want grandchildren or something? You know, yeah. people feel that a lot too, I think. Or some people are even like, well, who's going to take care of me? It's like, that should not be why you have children. <laughs> like that sucks. That's also a major consideration, I think. Not just economically, but socially, like I will just be alone. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, we should you know. be thinking about how do you create communities without necessarily having it through children. I think that's an awesome point for sure. Also, everyone gets birth control, however much they want. <laughs> Both free. That's my solution. Just so much free birth control. Yeah. Research more male birth control options, all that good shit. Definitely. A little tangent there, but mm-hmm. I think that's all related to your awesome research Thank on you. the <laughs> one child policy in China. It was interesting. Thanks for the question. Yeah. Good documentary. Recommend. All right. Next up, uh, we had an update from Iowa. Yeah, from our pal Dirk. Uh, He says a quick update from Iowa, and he was talking about the storm uh, that they had there, the derecho. Uh, Between the time of my previous writing and now, Iowa suffered massive damage from a storm. talks about the uh, storm with wind forces similar to a hurricane, leaving everyone in this town of 133,000 people without power. Jeez. All right, people were without power you know, for five days without internet for like eight days. Some people in rural areas worse than that. Oh my God. Uh, being without power for over a week, being without internet for even longer. Dirk says it's estimated that nearly 40% of the state's crops were affected. The damage can literally be seen from space. Holy shit. And he, and he talks about how, you know, Iowans reactions to this feeling like they're hung out to dry with the lack of support that they're receiving from their state and from the United States, mm-hmm. you know, the government. Um, the National Guard was sent to help with cleanup a week after the storm. Uh, that's way late. That's, I don't yeah. Know. The storm that was already like gone. pretty late. Could have, he hadn't seen any coverage of the event on national news, which it was kind of, it got buried in the cycle pretty quickly. I had not heard about this until he emailed us. Wow. Yeah, I saw it. I saw that it happened and then everything else continued you know yeah it just rolled right on it just wasn't a major disaster coverage really yeah so he was interested to see if we had heard of any of the coverage of the storm where we live and also wanted to kind of show flaws in the systems that currently govern us you know in terms of the response in terms of that media coverage too yeah i mean like i said i hadn't heard about this until i read this email and I mean, I feel like our storm response in general is very bad as a country. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, we all remember Katrina and like that was a major news event and they still didn't get enough help. Like we just just don't have good systems in place for this. And, you know, it's just going to get worse because of climate change. So it's not good. You're right. It is going to get worse. Um, We're going to, I mean, you, do you remember? Well, I mean, because like what, California, it's on fire. Yeah. It still is, but you don't see it every day now and in the news i see these manic takes of like 
well, it's like a lifestyle tax for living there. It's like, what the fuck, man? Like, we should not accept that as like normal. <laughs> like, that's also insane because most of these places are, ju- it's out in the countryside. It's not LA. Yeah, exactly. Like, these are the places that like grow all our food. <laughs> and even if it was LA, like, people deserve to live. Exactly. They don't deserve to have their houses burned on, burned down because they're living in a rich place. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, ridiculous. It's... Plus, so many, ah, that's just crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and so with here, though, you have kind of the opposite. Almost. It's like, well, mm-hmm. it's just flyover country. Yes. Yeah. Or it's just, it's just the Midwest. Yeah. What is even there? Which we've, I've yeah. been guilty of saying. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's incredibly valuable to the nation's food supply. And it's just human beings existing. You just care about humans. <laughs> and when they go through this and it's ridiculous, like you said, our infra- infrastructure and our storm response and everything that it can be knocked out for so long of a time that people have to go through this with such a slow response. I was reading that they had a lot of criticism in Iowa, you know, from, from the state level that it took them a long time. And then whenever they asked the national government to help, it took them a long time too, Mm. you know, to get the response going. Uh, Like you said, it took the national guard a week to be there to respond to the storm. You know, it uh, wouldn't take them a week to respond if, if (laughs) I don't want to guess, get us uh, in trouble if someone did something that the you know to threaten government officers or something like it wouldn't take them a week to yeah. respond to that yeah exactly so yeah i think i think dirk's definitely right in terms of the flaws in the system there the media coverage not paying attention to it our hearts go out to iowa yeah terrible stuff hopefully the recovery effort is further along now yeah i think that's something too that's like really fucked up about our media is that it focuses so much on the damage mm-hmm. and then it just leaves and moves on to the next story. And it's like, I mean, people have to rebuild their entire lives like that. That takes a long time, you know? So it's, it's insane. People aren't as aware of that or aren't as aware of that in the sense of being able to try to do something to help. Yeah. Yeah. It happens with, that's a good example of it, but it happens with, you know, when once the wildfires are over, that's going to be, you know, people are going to move on from that. Yeah. The ones in Australia last year, I'm sure there's still a ton of devastation from that. Like so many things got destroyed and animals and stuff. And it's just now it's time to talk about Trump's taxes or something. (laughs) So easy to get distracted. (laughs) But yeah, thanks, Dirk. That's thanks for the update. I hope things are better. Yeah. There and on the road to more of a livable situation. Yeah. Best of luck, Dirk. Okay, our next question comes from Clint, who says, I'm in three unions and now starting a small business. If I hire anyone, that would make me an employer, which would be against my IWW membership. Okay. At some point, I will need more than me to make my little company work. I made a prototype and I'm going to get it mass produced. You guys have any links on info on how I could use my tiny ass company that would be a co-op and actually function? I don't know. What do you got for this? I think this is a great question. It's totally, totally makes sense. You know, you don't want to lose control over something you've created mm-hmm. to anybody who's like thinking, why are you trying to do business, man? You're like, <laughs> you know, a socialist. I mean, we all like do want to abolish capitalism. You know, we do want to get rid of profit and everything and eventually move past that. But I mean, we're in a capital system right now. Exactly. You know, you gotta, there you, you got to make do and as Clint is interested in doing here, make do in the best uh, most ethical way possible. I think a co-op would be a great way to do that. As far as resources go, I found a 
resource at the, and we'll link it in the show notes, the United States Federation of Worker Cooperatives. Okay. Uh, which has a bunch of resources for people. Their page here is resources for startups, but it's how to make a co-op, just like he's asking here. It's got good resources about that, apparently. I mean, like, you know, you have to draw it up like a corporation, basically, mm-hmm. to structure it a little differently. And it depends on where you live. Mm-hmm. Different states have different laws as far as uh, whether they, whether they have, like, an official co-op thing that anybody can do. Some states, especially southern states, have co-ops like you can only officially be a co-op if you are in agriculture hey stupid question can you go ahead mm-hmm. and give us a definition for co-op i assume it just means everybody owns a bit of the company so the official you know worker cooperative definition or i guess the working one that we'll talk about here is a business type thing an enterprise where where the business the entity is owned and self-managed by the workers okay okay that makes sense the boss is Everybody. the workers. And you can like, you know, it, within that, you can say you're like the chief, you know, you're, you're the boss, you're the, you're the guy for, you're, you're going to make the command decisions, but you're not like paying us or you're not, you know. Okay. There, there may be like a hierarchy in decision making, but ultimately it is and you know, democratize it. It's, yeah. it's a democracy. Everyone is making the decisions, you know, has a say in making the decisions, even though you might have someone who's like the first among equals mm-hmm. maybe class wise you're all workers together that's cool so it's basically i mean it's like working on a collaborative project with someone it's like okay like i'm i'm the designer you're the marketing person well i'm i'm really familiar with only one form of business huh <laughs> <laughs> that's fine we know what we know <laughs> People say America's all about democracy, <laughs> all about governing yourself. Well, here you're governing yourself at work. There you go. When I was reading about it, there was a lot of complicated uh, stuff about like incorporation, you know, setting mm, up your business. Yeah. LLCs and Ugh. all these terms uh, that I'm not familiar with. Clint, you may be more familiar with that and you may have to become more familiar with that if you're not. It seems like they have guidance in terms of setting up bylaws and stuff like that to make the whole thing to where you're a worker cooperative rather than an employer Mm. so that you can stay in good standing with that awesome organization that you're already in, the International Workers of the World. Nice. Wobblies everywhere. Y'all are great. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. um, The main thing is that you're, you know, you're not employing people. You're not saying I'm going to hire you and fire you, that sort of thing. You're entering basically into a partnership of some sort. But I think that's great trying to find a good way to do that. You know, that's awesome. Next, we have a question from Luke. They have two questions. Uh, The first one, I guess I will tackle, is asking if we get any pushback about the show. And (laughs) he's just curious about some of the crazy stuff people say. And as our social media person, I can say that, yeah, they they say some shit. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. I don't... uh, (laughs) I'm blissfully unaware of it so congratulations ruin my bliss (laughs) tell me what have we got it's actually not too bad on social i think people kind of have to seek you out to do that shit the worst we've gotten is some weird like right-wing meme account kept tagging us but they would tag us in like liberal shit like there's something about cuomo or something i'm like i don't even like cuomo like what are you doing here (laughs) (laughs) so that one was weird i just blocked them because i got tired of being tagged in random shit yeah I would say a lot of our pushback comes from reviews. Mm-hmm. So we get a lot of reviews along the lines of calling us biased. <laughs> so yeah, 
Yeah, we've talked about this a little bit before, but, you know, basically everything's biased, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. everyone has a bias. Ours is leftist. I thought that was pretty obvious <laughs> based on the art and the name. And, yeah. Yeah, I guess we didn't explicitly say we're trying to be leftist, but we are, so. <laughs> Spoiler. But, yeah, you're right. Everything has a bias, whether it's a left-leaning bias to various degrees whether it's right wing to various degrees or whether it's a centrist bias, which is a bias. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's kind of a false equivalency of being centrist means you're like somehow neutral and smarter than everyone. It's like, no nah, man, like you just choose not to see certain things. Yeah. And then really to, you know, to talk about something being completely unbiased, you're talking about statistics, maybe, and not drawing any conclusions from it, but just like raw numbers. Yeah, which would be a boring ass show. <laughs> yeah, um, you, we, uh, once you start drawing any sort of conclusions from even just cold statistics, you start getting into interpretation, into bias. So I don't know. We get a lot of things along that. It's like, no, this is totally a skewed portrayal of communism. Doesn't talk enough about the downsides. Even though, like, I feel like we regularly shit on like Stalin and stuff like that. Sure, but we don't do it enough, you know, we don't say, even though we spent good <laughs> portions of our episode saying, well, here is the downside, we don't like that, and it's not all Stalin, I mean, you know, we we criticize various aspects of what socialist states have done in action. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, they're not going to be satisfied until we say that, you know, that communism has killed 300 million people or something, you know, they won't be yeah. happy until then. <laughs> So I know one of the reviews, this is one of my favorite ones. This is going to sound like an asshole if I say it's my favorite one. But just the way they said it was, as someone whose grandparent died under Stalin, it's okay, I guess. And I'm like, we hate Stalin around here. Yeah. And also, like, I, I, just, I just don't get the point of that, man. I'm just like, okay. Well, it's to, you know, claim credibility, discredit others. When you say, oh, I'm personally this, so don't try to tell me otherwise. It's just weird. It's just like, what did you expect coming here? And like, you know, like, I think I said this last episode too. It's like, if you want something else, look, you know, anywhere else. Like the whole point of this is to try to combat the other side propagandas, which is what we get all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's plenty of it out there. There's plenty right wing. There's plenty center. There's plenty normal liberal. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of stuff, dude. Check it out. Yeah. But if you want communist leaning stuff, that's us. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like after every, you know, episode for the most part, like we will we'll say, yeah, what did you think about that? Like in this episode, we did it. And it's like, yeah, we didn't like that part with the violence and <laughs> the being mean to people. Like we weren't into that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're, I don't know. Maybe we could be more critical. And I think we've. We always muse on that sometimes, like, well, did we do enough criticism? <laughs> yeah. But we're not perfect either. So, I mean, yeah. there's that. <laughs> well, it's interesting to me as a person who is assigned female at birth and on the internet, I would say I get way more pushback when I post on my main feed. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, like I remember I had made some like artwork supporting Bernie and like supporting socialism and stuff like that. And... Got a lot of mansplainers in my comments. Oh, <laughs> so, nice. yeah, and it's part of being a person on the internet. 
So yeah, <laughs> you, you kind of just get used to it. And like, I'll try to engage on some, some levels if I feel like I have the energy, but you know, it set boundaries for sure. Yeah. You got to, you got to. Yeah. What's been really interesting for me is that my like art count skews heavily female, like 96% female, <laughs> something like that. And our podcast has a ton of male listeners and like, I'm just so not used to interacting <laughs> like with men online. Cause that just doesn't happen very much in my normal space. So mm-hmm. yeah, I I've definitely, it's a new experience for me, but it, I mean, everyone's been nice so far. So like, thanks. Thanks guys. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting. Like I remember one listener messaged us. It was a nice message and stuff, but they asked like, they said something along the lines of like insinuating that you were the communist and that I wasn't or something. And I was like, no, we're both, we're both. Oh. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know which too, episodes hey. you listen to. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it was like in the first one. Cause like, I didn't know very much stuff, you know, but yeah, I guess I know, it's I mean, interesting. All right. And the second part of Luke's question or yeah, they, they added this question in um, a possible question would be uh, what have been the effects of patents on capitalism? I've heard they're important to allow innovations to get a leg up in establishing new technologies, while some say they don't allow for a truly free market. So how would we handle innovations in a socialist society? It says the issue would be important in our march toward communism. Hmm. Okay. Patents. What do you think about patents? I think they can be used for a lot of fuckery. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like a lot of patent law is, to me, seems a little ridiculous. I don't think... I, I think it gets in the way of a lot of things. Like, I don't know. I, I'm I'm suspicious of it. I mean, like, yeah, I want to credit people for further work, but I don't think it should be like, like there there's some bad shit has happened because of it, right? I think so. I definitely think it does have some downsides, even within a capitalist framework of locking up the system or, or preventing developments from happening because mm-hmm. you place a roadblock on only these people can do that because they've got the patents, you know, for it. Yeah. Especially when you get into people patenting medical technologies. Exactly. That's what I worry about. Or like even they've, they've tried to, I don't remember if they succeeded or not, but patenting uh, like genome sequences oh on like God. crops and stuff. Gross. Yeah. It's like, we're going to patent this, this life form. <laughs> <laughs> nasty but no i mean it's it's essentially kind of like being a landlord but for intellectual property this Mm, is mine if you use it you have to pay me and you don't necessarily have to do anything with it you just own it you know Mm -hmm. so within capitalism i think even it causes some problems but on the other hand without patents in place without intellectual property and stuff and and copyright laws all those things you do run into a problem of people just taking work, taking credit for it, taking your money. Yeah. I don't know how to fix that. <laughs> One good way to fix it would be if we have a socialist society where things are decommodified, uh, you mm-hmm. don't need to spend as much money on things. You do work, but you work to produce things. And then you then get the fruits of your labor from that. You don't need to sit on an idea like that because the profit motive isn't really as it's not there. Okay. Like the whole reason to steal someone's idea is to make some money off of it. Mm-hmm. But if you don't need to do that, then you're good. Yeah. Uh, no one's going to steal your idea. Having your idea all your own is not really useful anymore. It's better for society. 
which means it's better for you because you're only getting the fruits of society altogether, right? It's better for society if your idea is widely spread. Technological advances are made because of it. And you get that your portion of that redistributed to you is now bigger because of how society was able to advance better. Yeah. Interesting. Under socialism, right? Yeah. If you were looking at more of a market socialism, you know, a Bernie Sanders style kind Mm -hmm. of new deal thing or beyond what he would do, right? Uh, A, a more socialized system. Um, basically there are markets and stuff, but heavy redistribution, big social safety net, all that. Right. Yeah. You could make an argument. Maybe you do still need strong patent copyright laws, all that because people are still basically running businesses. People are still trying to make a profit, buying things in markets. Mm hmm. But gradually you would need less and less of that as more and more things are no longer determined by markets, right? The idea of the reform would be to take things and socially provide them. Yeah. I think too, the listener mentions it allows innovators to get a leg up in establishing new technologies. I think this is kind of that capitalism providing innovation thing. Competition is good kind of um, argument here. Um, I don't know if like the listener believes that, but that that's kind of how I read that portion. And Mm -hmm. I was thinking about this too, with the small business question. And it's just with socialism, you have to rethink your motivation for why you work. You know, it's, it's not just to, it's not to survive. It's not to make a profit. It's not to, it's not even so much for fame, maybe a little bit. If you invent a fucking like desalinator, that's really good or something. (laughs) then like, sure. (laughs) Yeah. Or if you're the guy that makes the replicator, you're probably going to get a statue. That's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> but it, yeah, it's really about refocusing why you get up to work every day. Yeah, that's that's a good point. In our episode about Che Guevara, when he was talking about moving past the money system and everything mm-hmm. and incentives, and he kind of crash coursed it a he little too it. early. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, that idea of a different motivation for work. Yeah, yeah. I think based on based on the listener's question, it does depend on, on where you are. Yeah, if you're still working through the uh, the first stage where you're still basically developing capitalism, but trying to make it nice for people, developing your means of producing things, you're probably still going to. That's not the first thing you're going to get rid of. I don't think. Mm-hmm. I don't like it. Like <laughs> it's kind of annoying that and and when you say they get a leg up in new technologies, it's because they're kind of walling other people off. Like you can't use this thing while I make money off of it. Yeah. Yeah. Because like, if you think about that, you know, if you invent some, this is bullshit. If you invent some cool new circuit board or whatever, <laughs> then that does sound like bullshit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I know. I don't know. <laughs> things. Yeah. You invent something really cool and then only you can use it. Someone could take that cool thing and just like noodle on it and make something even cooler out of it. Like you're Mm. cutting off collaboration and innovation in a different way. I think you've even seen this with the advent of like 3d printing. Like it's just makes this stuff so much more accessible and like a whole group of people who haven't even been involved in this sort of stuff can now fuck around and make cool shit. Yeah. Uh, And I think the main distinction here is do people still need to compete to stay alive and stuff and survive in a, in a system that will otherwise leave them for dead. Mm-hmm. Or are we working in a cooperative way? Because like the more we're, we're still competing, the mm-hmm. more you still need this stuff because 
you have to protect people's like ability to provide for themselves and stay alive and stuff. Yeah. But as you move further away from that, more into socialism and then Mm -hmm. eventually into communism, you you don't need, you you need to think as a, as a society, you know, like we said, move past, can this person benefit and move toward can, how does this benefit everybody? Yeah. And so, like you said, with getting people to tinker on that and overall, everyone ends up better because of that. That's only possible if that one person doesn't have to worry about putting food on the table anymore. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Because I mean, I and we've talked about this before, like so much of like medical research is based on like what is profitable. And if we mm-hmm. can move beyond that, it's like, wow, we could actually fucking solve some shit, you know? Oh, yeah. And I don't support even now in our current capital system, patents and stuff on, on medical technologies that could save people's lives. That should just be nationalized. Sorry, it's gone. Ugh, yeah. You don't get to wall that off. You don't get to stifle. Yeah, that's just like fucked up. Advancements in that so that you can <laughs> Yeah, for real. Like I was saying before, like I think even if you decide, okay, certain sectors are fine for patents, like I think those, you can repurpose things for other mm-hmm. items, you know, like so. That's true. You're right. And it can tie in like um, with computing technologies and stuff can definitely, artificial intelligence has a lot of, you know, can have a lot of medical applications mm-hmm. and making sure a hospital runs more efficiently yeah. and stuff. We're also thinking about, are we accepting the premise that people will not innovate stuff unless they have a profit motive behind them? Like, I'm not going to bother inventing mm. this stuff because I can't make money off of it. Do we think that that people will actually, would actually do no, that? No, I don't think so. Cause that's, I mean, what we're resting this on this whole idea of like, well, people do need to do need to have these patents to protect them. So that they can make money. Yeah. I mean, I don't think so. I'm, I, th- I think there is an innate human desire to create. And I think if you're, you're of the science mind, which I am not, but I, I really like people who are, then I think that's, that's what you want to do. And like, hopefully like you're <laughs> motivated by helping people. To tie it back to the question, we would say innovations in a socialist society. The more and more socialist you get, right? The more actually... Mm-hmm. 100% socialist that you get the less protections and stuff you would need on that. Yeah, I, I would hope so. I think it should be more open source basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You should definitely get credit for anything. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think credit's important. Like, yeah, sign your name on it or whatever. <laughs> we can call it the, the so-and-so patent, <laughs> you know, or this is the so-and-so machine. You deserve that. Everybody. Does. Yeah. Yeah. But if there's less financial incentive and more of like a, I did this, I accomplished this, I helped my community kind of thing, that'd be cool. Yeah. Cool. I think that's our last cue. All right. Yeah. Thanks, Luke, for that question. Yeah. Thank you. All right. What do you want to do next week? Oh, uh, next week, let's, uh, let's take a little, let's take it easy. Do a little okay. rest and relaxation. Okay. Kicking back in our leisure time and play a few games. I wanted to try out Democratic Socialist Simulator. This is a game I got in a big Itch.io bundle back in like June or something because it was supporting like Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. And I'm just now cracking into that bundle. It's so many games, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I saw this in there and I immediately added it to the list. So I think that'll be kind of fun. Yeah. And I had a game as well that I wanted to look at. Papers, please. You've told me about this one. Uh, I love the the art style in it cool so if you want to play those and kind of get a feel for it so you can be caught up or we can just tell you about them 
All right. So in the meantime, you can find us on the internet. We are on Instagram at teach me communism on Twitter at teach communism. We are on Gmail. If you want to send us an email, that is teach me communism at gmail.com. You can send us a question, recommendation for a future episode, stuff like that. And don't forget to leave us a review. Uh, Apple Podcasts is a great place to leave a review. I know some of you don't use Apple Podcasts for listening, but please leave us a review there anyway, because it's like the easiest place to get new listeners. Mm -hmm. We love reading the reviews too. They make us smile uh, most of the time. (laughs) Most of the time. Some of them are a little mean. That's okay. We're also on YouTube if you prefer listening to podcasts that way. And we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash teachmecommunism. There you can uh, get access to all of our episode notes. So depending on who's doing the research, you can read up on what we researched. All right. Thanks to all our listeners for the awesome questions. Yeah, thank you. That was fun to dive into. Yeah. We'll see you guys next week on another episode of Teach Me Communism, where the class struggle is always in session. Bye.